G'day, and welcome to My Favourite Album. I'm journalist and filmmaker Jeremy Dillon, and each episode I'll be talking to a different guest about an album they love and how it's influenced and inspired. The people that you project are the size of nothing of the sort, sold us all short, put down a champagne, no toast to the legacy, and all the propaganda of prosperity, that's what a machine does and they don't need therapy, you turn us into a nation of haters, buy right a pizza, believe in whatever kept your leader, dog whistle through the speakers, see who bites it, notice the hell of a lot of people like this, an ethical choice is simpler if your price is conquered by dividing, that's where you admired him, unless pushed we would never have retired him, fucking pirate History will damn him Once it seemed like nothing could damage him Sasha Liu Chi The way Shang Tung Crook You got your ass played in Mandarin My guest today wears many hats, although he's not actually literally wearing one at the moment, but in the rest of his time, he's the front man of the herd, founder of two decades strong hip hop label Elephant Tracks, and creator of a series of acclaimed solo albums as Earthboy. Equally adept with fusing the personal and political into his music, whether it be fiery progressivism or simple advocacy for empathy. It seems that one thing he may be proudest of is his creative longevity. When once asked what he felt his greatest achievement in music was, he replied, hanging around. Tim Levinson, welcome to my favourite album. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Tim, what's your favourite album? My favourite album is A Tribe Called Quest and their second record, The Low End Theory. So push it along, trails we blaze. Don't deserve the gong, don't deserve the praise. The tranquility will make you unball your fist for we put hip hop on a brand new twist. A brand new twist with a whole heap of mystic So low-key that you probably missed it But yet it's so loud that it stands in the crowd When the guy takes the beat, they bowed So raise up, squire, adjust your attire We have no time to wallow in the mire If you're on a foreign path, then let me do the lead Join in the essence of the cool I breed The cool out to the music cause it makes you feel serene With the birds and the bees and all those groovy things Like getting stomach aches when you gotta go to work Or staring into space when you're feeling berserk I don't really mind if it's over your head Cause the job of resurrectors is to wake up the dead So pay attention, it's not hard to decipher And after the horns you can check out the viper all-time favorite records and I think about it as my favorite record because when I was a kid I played it constantly and I would turn the tape over from side A to side B or whatever you call cassette tapes and repeat that process for hours just listening to this record non-stop and so it had that impact on me as a kid but then it's a record that I never grew out of it wasn't one of those records that gradually I stopped listening to. As I've gotten older, I still love listening to it and thinking about having a chat today, I put it on the stereo when I was in the car the other night and just sung along to all the lyrics. There's just no other record that comes close for me. Is there, and I wouldn't normally ask this question this early in an interview, but just because you mentioned the cassette thing there, is there a format or an environment you most prefer or you have the most meaningful experience listening to this record in? Not really, because that was all that was available to me at the time. Cassette tape was the only way to experience it. And then 
I bought the vinyl years later and hey, that works too. And the way I listened to it in the car was on a streaming service and that works too. And I had it on CD and that worked as well. All of them just connected me with what means so much to me. And that's just the music, you know, inherent in the delivery service. So yeah, the cassette probably has most meaning because it's dogged and I don't even know if I have it anymore, but those things tend to grow with you. You know, the plastic outer casing just becomes all either cracked or just gets that scratched plastic texture going on. And so it loses all of its gloss and you've opened up the liner notes that many times to check production credits or thank yous. And so there's a kind of like it's, it's earned its place in your collection quality to the cassette tape in the same way that vinyl and CDs have. But I don't really care too much about the way that I, that I listen to it. It's just, yeah, it's the music. And is there anything about like you spend a lot of time listening to it when you had to do that thing of either turning the cassette tape on or I guess later turning the record over but the album feeling like it has a first part and a second part which is I guess a different experience from listening to it on a CD or streaming yeah yeah it's funny to think about that the way that the physical act of having to turn it over changes your experience of the actual music and the the album but no I, I these were all just little sets of experiences and you'd go your way through the record and the collaborators that appeared whether it be Buster Rhymes or you know the various artists that appeared on the record I think Black Sheep were on there it'd almost be like oh we're up to that part of the movie you know that's part of the journey and you know that signifies that we're getting towards the end of the record but no and I'm not really sure about the process of you know pulling the tape out and turning it over I don't think that really changed the experience of listening to it for me Okay. go to your origin story with this record it came out in 1991 but when did it enter your life how old were you and what else were you listening to at the time i think i probably came across it 1992 or 93 and i came across it first and i could be wrong here but there was this tv show on sbs on a sunday afternoon called mctv and it was the only way that you could be exposed to hip-hop music on tv Rage would play clips, Public Enemy, NWA, Run DMC. But MCTV went deeper. It had mainly hip-hop clips and it was all this music that wasn't available. It wasn't in record stores. And so it exposed us to, you know, all of the extended crew. So it wasn't just A Tribe Called Quest. It was De La Soul. It was Jungle Brothers. It was MC Light. 
There's all these different names that were all just, you know, mysterious to me. Like, this was an amazing thing, just thinking about where these artists came from. And a piece of music wasn't just a, a skippable piece of digital content. It was this whole amazing experience you know you see the video you see them you know a big part of it was following on from the impact that public enemy had and so a lot of that movement coming out of new york was very afrocentric so it was you know african outfits and the colors of the african diaspora so there was greens and yellows and reds and these artists that weren't coming as hard as nwa or um, ghetto boys uh, they had this sort of hippie vibe in a way, but then they were still speaking on some pretty political issues and directly. And that's the thing that I think most connected for me with hip hop was how direct those messages were. So, yeah, MCTV was a huge factor in my interest in hip hop and getting access to it because we'd watch that show and we'd record it, put it onto, you know, VHS tapes and then we'd just share it around. So we'd be sharing the VHS videos and then we'd find out these artists. Then it wasn't like you could Google the artists. So you'd go to the record stores and ask them in their catalogue if they had the ability to order it in. And of course, none of them did locally. So they'd have to import those records in, which would take... And this is the Blue Mountains. Is The, the context <laughs> is I was in Katoomba. That would take probably three months to come in. So the whole idea of coming across... These artists, I can't understate just how gigantic the whole sense of amazement was about discovering an artist and then waiting those months for that music to come in and then getting that music and then putting it on. And hopefully it wouldn't be a record full of filler. It would be a record that was a classic because you'd almost get the cred for introducing a classic record to your crew of friends. And that was a pretty big deal. So whoever discovered Wu-Tang first, that was me. Whoever discovered Redman first, that was my friend Schwaza. You know, we brought it in and then everybody copied each other's tapes and CDs and whatnot. But MCTV was huge. That was a big deal. And I guess I was about 13 at the time. So it was sort of early days and pretty anxious to express myself through music. And so much about your identity was expressed through the music that you listened to. So that had a big influence on the way we dressed and the way we kind of saw ourselves and in the mountains we're pretty isolated a little bit it'll be a two-hour train trip down to sydney where there were some music stores that specialized in hip-hop and they'd be you know pretty intimidating characters because you know everybody's fronting a bit you know acting a bit staunch and us little wide-eyed kids would come down and you know try and explore and understand the culture a little bit better and yeah so you know all these different artists really changed our lives. Wow. So instead you rest your head on the arm of the couch, envision in your head of a great sex bout. Worthy opponent, all you want to do is bone it. You ask, can you kick it? She says you can't stick it. This is the case, the situation is sticky. Should you try to kiss or hit towards a hickey? Not even, you can ask even if the vibe ain't right. You're leaving, hit the road jack and all of that. But if she offers her a bowl, she'll drop your load. Right smack dab in the middle. Get the kit and I got crazy tender fiddles. Uh-huh, you know the science, you get buck wild. Running Mac games as if your name was Scott Styles. I better yet magic or even call my own. Regardless who it is, your aim is to bone. If she tries to front, that's when you start to diss her. If she quit the program, that's when you start to kiss her. Might as well get to the point. No time to waste, might as well break the ice. Then set the pace. You start
thinking about Tribe Called Quest in the context of a lot of the other music that was coming out at that time, a lot of the other hip hop stuff, I think there's a perception of them maybe being less political than say like Public Enemy or NWA, which I understand why people feel like that, but I, I think there's a case to be made that they're political in a different way. And also aside from that, the tone I think is where that comes from. Because the tone, particularly like talking about low end theory of that record, it's like, it's a big contrast to like a nation millions or straight out of Compton. It doesn't have any of that kind of, I mean, you just used the word front before it doesn't have that kind of like confrontational front. It's a completely different type of energy, which I think is partly tied up in the whole idea of what low end theory means. Yeah. They're not as aggressive. So Chuck D had a really aggressive style and the production was really in your face. All that Bomb Squad sample based hip hop that was just really, you know, it was dialed up to 11 the whole time. And that energy that came with that music was incredible. There was nothing like it. And maybe in hip hop, it'll be a long time before we get anything similar that had the same sort of impact in context of the times. But Chub Called Quest, while they weren't as aggressive, and I mean, this record, the whole point of why this record had so much impact, and I guess maybe it's why I love it now as much as I loved it back then, is that, and I'm not a big jazz person, but this was the record that really felt like the most sophisticated coming together of the spirit of hip hop and jazz, which in many ways was a huge influence on hip hop to begin with. So the coming together of not only jazz musicians, but the production style and a little less focused on purely sample-driven hip-hop and drum machines, even though there were samplers involved in the production of this record, it really had this more inviting, more low-key, more cruisy atmosphere to it. And Q-Tip's voice, I mean, it's so buttery, you know, it's just so easy to listen to. And his authority on the mic, he just had this presence that you felt drawn to. He had a magnetizing quality about what he was rhyming about and there was no big choruses the funny thing about a lot of that movement at that time they were really anti r&b de la soul had you know from stakes is high that record where they talk about not selling out on this one they talk about not selling out by having r&b singers involved which is funny to think about the way hip-hop moved and r&b is really part of that movement i think in some ways perhaps they were pushing back against pop yeah sell out kind of hip-hop which at that time, I think, was really in context with the street origins of hip-hop in New York. And it was a real hard expression of art. Like, it was not a bougie sort of, you know, edges all ironed out of that expression. It was really direct and that's why so many people were drawn to it. But, uh, you know, I mean, hip-hop completely changed and it really embraced pop and embraced all sorts of different genres. But that element of this record did allow for a lot of pretty, you know, direct political themes to come through, but not in the same in-your-face way. So they talk about industry politics, they talk about... I mean, there's a song about date rape on there, and, you know, in a... I mean, it's... <laughs> I'm digressing here, but that's such a... sort of is a great illustration of hip-hop at the time, because Q-Tip's got these two verses that really tap into respecting women. And if a, you know, if a woman doesn't want to go there, you got to be cool. You know, you can't push it, which is, I guess, in a misogynistic form of music that was 
you know, a long way away from where it is now. And I mean, you know, hip hop's always had an issue, a pretty big issue with misogyny. That was pretty progressive. But at the same time, in the same song, Fife Dog, his verse is kind of coming at it from a completely different angle and it wouldn't fly in this day and age. I mean, it would because so much hip-hop is still misogynistic, but it's just so interesting that you've got this kind of contradictory verses that one of them is quite progressive, the other one is still kind of has a pretty decent level of misogyny in the way that he raps it, but then they come together on the verses and so much hip-hop, it's always straddling that balance between contradicting itself, but that's kind of life. And, you know, whereas I can't really get down with some of the things that Fife is saying in that particular verse that dynamic between them spells so much of why i think people are drawn to a tribe called quest because it wasn't just straight down the line and it wasn't just one message <laughs> sometimes it was different messages in the same song that did contradict themselves but yeah there's heaps of politics that comes through in tribes music and that really spoke to me in a lot of ways and filled a lot of gaps that were there that artists like chuck d and yeah nwa and even ghetto boys paris those types of artists, they opened my world to a whole nother way of thinking and made me reflect heaps in my own backyard. So they were talking about American. The context was American politics and also African politics and also there was so much racism, class issues. Politics in hip-hop back then was just so lively and it was just so uncensored and it was just not off the table like it is now. Everything was up for grabs and there just seemed to be this urgency about getting those points of views across and for me as a little white kid growing up in the blue mountains born in campbelltown over to the blue mountains i was opened up to a whole bunch of the world that i never knew existed and certainly wasn't being taught to me in school so it blew my fucking mind and my imagination really was awakened and made me think about australia's relationship with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders made me think about what our history was there and why we never learned anything in school. So all of these artists around that time were really instrumental in educating me. I had a huge alternative education going on and it was the same music that was causing controversy for, you know, being a problem. You know, NWA, Tibagore, these different people that were clamping down on hip hop for destroying the moral fiber of society well that was the same bunch of artists and set of songs that were giving me a worldview that i could never have hoped for you know as i sat down in the classroom Back in the days when I was a teenager Before I had status and before I had a pager You can find the abstract, listening to hip-hop My pops used to say it reminded him of bebop I said, well, daddy, don't you know that things go in cycles Way the Bobby Brown is just amping like Michael It's all expected, things are for the looking If you got the money, quest is for the booking Come on, everybody, let's get with the fly mode Still got room on the truckload of black gold Listen to the rhyme to get a mental picture Of this black man, black woman picture why do I say that? Cause I gotta speak the truth, man Doing what we feel for the music is the proof And planet on the ground, the act is so together Bonafide strong, you need leverage to sever The unit, yes, the unit, yes, the unit Called the jazz is delivering each year An LP filled with street goods You can find it on your rack in your record store If you get the record, say your thoughts are adored And appreciate it, cause we're ever so glad we made it We work hard, so we gotta thank God Fishing out the plastic, do the dance to your spastic If you diss it gets drastic. A lot of the discussions around hip-hop in that period was a generational battle in a lot of ways. It was like a older generation who were scared by this music or didn't understand it in a deep way. 
But one of the interesting things about Tribe Called Quest, and I think particularly on this record, is that it did start to open up a certain level of cross-generational appeal or openness and listening to hip-hop, which I think partly here is the jazz influence, the samples, the Ron Carter bass playing on mm. it, and which the weird side effect of that is Ron Carter only agreed to play on the record if they turned down the swearing. <laughs> so it's kind of a little bit cleaner lyrically than a lot yeah. of hip-hop records so i guess that might have made older people a little more open to listening to it as well yeah i mean you're tapping into one of the great things about music and art in general is just that in some ways it's not supposed to be easily digestible to people who came before it because you set up these terms of the parameters of how you understand music and whether you like it or not it becomes harder to be open-minded about things that exist outside of those parameters and for people who get older you see this new music come out that you don't have the context you're not part of why this is important happens every generation where you look at the ones coming after you and you're like but is that really music is that is it good though that's not. And you forget that it's not just about the songs. It's about everything that comes with it. And it's not just reducing it down to fashion and aesthetics, but it's culture. Like, it's cultural context and understanding the slang and the area that it comes from. And sometimes that's not going to mean something to you that it means to other people. And the only way you can protect yourself against becoming limited in your scope of understanding is just to enthusiastically seek out why it means something to people i love it because as i get older and there's all these new artists that come out you know i have a whole bunch of friends who will reflect on new music and be like yeah but is it really any good though like are young people just deluded and i love those conversations because <laughs> they were exact conversations that people were having about the music that we loved i've just come off you know one of my artists on the groove in the mood tour and we sat there and watched billy eilish and one of my mates was sitting there going this is you know a fraud you know this is not real shit and and granted there's a lot of production in the show and music in the track and you know vocals that are bringing her textures and her aesthetic to the big stage but you know looking at my friend as he's making this judgment call you can't help but laugh because he's missing the entire context that all these young kids it means everything to them and that's that's the beauty of it you know and yeah i think you're probably right like it had this more inviting sonic quality to it that meant that people who really were frightened off by the aggression of public enemy or cube and easy and dr dre yeah it was a little bit more easy you know to put that in the maybe the family stereo but i love either side of that conversation i love the the fact that people have grown beyond being able to experience that music on the same level that the younger people can you know because they may be speaking out in a disparaging way about younger people but when i hear that i hear you're missing out on what they're experiencing so you may feel better for having rubbished their experience but you know in your own way that's a little sad for you because hey we all had that moment where we're just fully immersed in the music and every little bit about it the whole experience is so consuming that's a great place to be you know it doesn't matter what part of your life if you can kind of always experience culture and music like that then 
you know, chances are your life is better. The thing I always find fascinating about that dynamic when people are like, oh, this isn't real music. These fucking kids are full on themselves. Yeah. That kind of thing is like the, you can't just go, well, that's not for me. Yeah. Like a lot of people just don't have the ability to go like, well, I'm glad other people are enjoying this. I will continue to enjoy the music. Yeah. I like they're scared of coming to the understanding that culture has moved past them. So it has to be a fraudulent in some way. It can't yeah. just be something that's evolved beyond where they happen to sit anymore. Yeah, it's not me. It's definitely them. You know, I'm actually the most perfect. I'm in the most perfect position to be able to assess the right and proper way of things. And yeah, that's part of life. Yeah. The peak of music was between when I was 10 and 28. And everything <laughs> after that sucks and everything before that was irrelevant. Yeah. said it's all expected things will get hectic change is a threat like when dylan went electric because we all affected directed defected in puffy chested but then out dejected Room massage for every bad back it isn't hollywood it's just mad max it didn't serum to get rid of your anthrax and mother Teresa. it's just a beat of a damn track huh i don't really care for half of these mcs but some of them are like the path of a set piece all of it and more we can't let you get sleep no relationship was started on a wet dream so we knocked down doors and we rock our jaws and we don't turn our back If it's not our core, stand and stare up from the ground floor Get up, what you down for? And you've got to be engaged You're not just listening to your mates We're trying to save the world and brave you well I love that bit of taste And you've got to be engaged It's not a grudge match every day It's the necessary phases Cause no folk song ever saved us My first band was a band it was keys, drums, and bass. Then I went into the herd, and the herd was whatever the hell the herd was. Um, <laughs> we ended up settling on laptops, samplers, accordions, bass, guitar, two guitars, and vocals. But I also went and did an MC DJ show, and that became a lot of what I did for my own solo show. And I did do that with the band for a while, and then I went back to the DJ and vocalist show, and I brought in more vocals. And part of it was trying to appreciate all of the different artistry that comes from different ways of performing music. And getting back to what you're talking about, about, you know, like what's real music, that's the endless thing with hip hop is the difference between having a live band perform music and having a DJ and MC where the music's being DJ. Well, what I love about that format is that it's so limited that you've got to bring something to it. And of course, that doesn't mean by virtue of being limited that it's good and you're going to work within those limitations and the byproduct is it's going to be a better show because you've somehow put more work into it. No, there's heaps of terrible versions of MC DJ shows that are really unimaginative and just stock standard and a lot of them rely on backing track that takes a little bit of the life and performance out of the, the show. But what I love about that is that yeah, those limitations do force you to have to work within your means and hopefully when you're in that mentality, you can break through and do something original. Now, like I said, it doesn't always happen, but there's something unimaginative about simply putting instruments there and trying to perform the music. It's not necessarily by virtue of being performed live a better show. So it's always a bit of a balance between it's what you bring to the show and how you perform it that is the difference between it just being run-of-the-mill and derivative or electrifying and maybe you'll break ground who knows where the pioneers come from i mean the pioneers can only 
do what they do by trying new things. Well, that kind of neatly leads into what I wanted to ask you about next, which is the influence of low-end theory on your music. There's two things that I already know about, which is there's a lyric in one of your songs, Modern Day Folk, that references the opening track, Excursions. Mm -hmm. So maybe get you to talk about that. And then I think you sampled what on a track. So, So let's start with those. I thought about this chat before I came in and I thought, should I go back into the record? And I did listen to the record, but should I try and get my stats and facts together? And I thought, no, I just want to try and remember how I experienced it just as a fan and not necessarily with all the correct details. Because when you experience music, you don't necessarily get what the artist is telling you. You get what you get. And that is something I've learned as a musician is as valid as interpreting correctly the song. And that's an amazing thing. Like once you let go of holding on to control over how people experience things, you recognize that actually we're not in control. And as artists, we do our best to communicate an idea or a mood or a feeling or or something. And then if that is successful, that's our metric. That's the success. But actually, there's this whole mysterious element of creating art that is sometimes beyond your consciousness where an audience can receive it in a particular type of way that you could never hope to control even if you sit there and deliberate over every creative decision there's still going to be a way of hearing that music that defies all of those attempts that you've imposed on it you know it's it's one of the best parts of music is that somehow you can pull together all of these different elements and between the cocktail that you've created, touch on such an intangible quality that it sparks something. That is the best and most amazing thing about music. And sometimes that's about like putting weird words together or chord progressions that are seemingly working in like almost like blue notes. They don't, they're not supposed to work. I don't know what those qualities are and I can't really put them into words. I probably should stop. But that's the, <laughs> that's the whole point. That's some of the power of it. So, yeah, when I'm looking at this record and the influence that it's had on me, I just really would love to continue writing music so that I can someday get close to writing a record that has an impact on other people the same way that this record had an impact on me. And it's not that it had any big singles. There certainly wasn't any of these songs on radio in Australia. When I was growing up, there was no crossover it doesn't have any hits there's nothing there that you can set out to achieve by just making a successful record it's just a collection of songs that cuts through and has all this meaning and that's like a promised land for me creative promised land is a record like the low in theory and yeah i'll sample it and i won't sample it because i'm trying to use or exploit some of the works on that record it's just because it's so precious it's like a treasure And to even reference it to me is like an honor. It's something that it's not just about improving my song. It's about going, this thing is like the holy grail for me in some ways. And so for me to even just kind of like press a button that takes your mind back to that record is a key to understanding me. And that's probably why I've referred back to it. I mean, because that sample on Ready to Go on your song is really, it's like not 
the hook of the song or anything. No. It's quite subtle in there. It's almost an Easter egg. Yeah. So it does quite have that thing of like if someone knows this record well enough to pick that out immediately on listening to your song, it's almost like they're getting that little Easter egg, that insight into you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the point, isn't it? It's one of those little open door moments, you know, come on in and understand a little bit about what made me tick. is supposed to be magic and i think we've become especially when we're involved in the industry side of things and even when you're not even when you're an artist that has gone back to the coalface enough times to understand ritual and routine i will strum the guitar until i come up with something that i like i will layer that with a couple of harmonies i'll put some bass down I know how to put a song together and these things become a bit routine. They lose a bit of the magic and that's necessary because you understand and you become what is your own version of mastering that craft. And when I say mastering, I don't necessarily mean that you're a genius, I just mean that you understand how to put things together. And when you understand things, it takes out the mystery, right? But being able to have those breadcrumbs back to the mystery is really one of the keys because... There's nothing great about not surprising yourself. You can do things that are great and they mean things to the audience, but if it's just about, you know, keeping your own imagination always fed, then a really important component is not to master it and not to know it all and not to kind of have your way of working out the song. Like there has to be, at least for me, uh, kind of like turning a blind eye to that like you know trying to welcome the blind spots like bringing them back into play so that they have just as much relevance to how you problem solve your way through a song as your experience and your ability to n- know all of the equipment that you're using so that you can you know rely on yourself to be able to problem solve that's reminds me a lot of those Brian Eno oblique strategies cards. All right. You know, like there's a lot of things for people who don't know. It's this pack of cards that Brian Eno produced at some point, which are like little notes to look at when you're going through. I mean, largely when you're making records, but it applies to creative stuff in general. Where it's all things like, well, what's the incorrect way to do this? It's ways to trigger you to use things in a different way or think about problems in a a different way than the sort of rote standard way of doing things is yeah how hard is that to force yourself to do that because what you're also doing is you're going the long way 
and the long way doesn't necessarily fit into your schedule. I mean, for me, my main gig now is managing and running our record label. And that's a day job. And whether I like it or not, the energy that I expend during the day impacts my ability to channel that in the evening or the weekend. So I have to constantly balance those two things. And I've gone from it being weighted in the favor of the creative side to now so far weighted in the more business side of my life that I'm accepting it because I've had an extraordinary fortune just to be able to do music anyway. I should never really have written one album, let alone been involved in so many. So I have an even perspective with it, but yeah, that's you know something I think about. Baby's Babylon, they're looking for excuses. Game for the buzzer who kicked it to the mooses. Lame as a brain, could be golly gee. If you see a shrink, he'll charge you a fee. If you see me, you see the fee is nothing. We will people patience, all backs, no fronting. What is a party if it doesn't really rock? What is a poet, all balls, no cock? What is a war if it doesn't have a general? What's Channel 9 if it doesn't have a senior? What is life if you don't have fun? What is a what if you ain't got a gun? What's Ali without Shaheed Muhammad? Nothing. Kapelka makes you vomit. What is the quest if the players ain't willing? What is a pence if you don't have a shilling? Excuse me if I'm chilling. Hey, what? Say what? What's a fat man without food in his gut? So to wrap up, let's swing back to the low end theory. And if you heard this in 92 or 93, we're now 20, what is that? 26, 27 years on from when mm-hmm. you first heard this record. What's the experience like these days to put on the low end theory and listen to it now? It is just as enjoyable now as it was then. There's not a part where I cringe at the production and appreciate the energy that I had as a kid and why that brought to life this style of music for me. There's not like a, oh, but I was this type of a person back then. And so now I'm this type of a person and it's not as relevant to me. The lucky thing for me with this record and why I guess it's head and shoulders above any other record, as much as I love to death so many different records, is that this record is still just as massive for me. I don't know what it is, but there's a familiarity there. I can sing along. I still get the same words mixed up. One of the, my favourite concerts ever was when A Tribe Called Quest finally came and played in Australia. I thought about it forever, for a long time. I will go overseas one day and hopefully I'll coincide with Tribe playing. But they didn't play for so long. But then they reformed, I think it was late 2000s. And, you know, they played at the Horton Pavilion. One of the best experiences I've ever had was just watching these songs come to life. And it didn't even matter. didn't even matter what the show was. It was just seeing them performed. And that's how I feel when I listen to the record now. It's like a record that I want to share with as many people as possible. When my daughter is old enough and open, <laughs> open to it, you know, I hope she enjoys it as much as I do and so on and so forth. Well, Tim, thanks so much for talking to me today about your favorite album. Thanks for having me. It's actually just a massive buzz just even thinking about it. So having an excuse to come and talk about it for a while, <laughs> this is my pleasure. And I would recommend to our listeners, and I guess to you too, if you haven't picked up a copy or heard about this book, friend of the show, Hanif Abdurraqib, just put out a book earlier this year called Go Ahead in the Rain, which is all about a tribe called Quest, and it's really beautiful. So I would highly recommend that to anyone who enjoyed this conversation or just enjoys a tribe called Quest. I ain't done yet, this-
just do gas in the tank of sunset Leaving them believe that your days are numbered Start to reflect, got lost and wonder Not running on empty, no forgotten hunger Keep singing till I'm out of the bunk Yep, built through life, we in a plunger But me out, bro, they don't know the pressure we under Don't need to steal, I'm claiming thunder Once a wash, stepping up a notch Mark me, can't cover the charts Another white boy loving the one drop Order the cake and now I'm breaking a chunk off well, That's it for another episode of My Favourite Album Thanks for listening. I've been Jeremy Dillon. You can follow me at Mr. Jeremy Dillon. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash myfavoritealbum. Subscribe on iTunes. And if you dig the show, please leave a review. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. Next minute, the descending swamp in the air, an impending storm. Yeah, steady like city of dawn. One blink and gone. Take another shot and make me strong. Heart rated a machine gun pace and still so on song. Fly like the sheet gun sent. Never pause, not a second till you totally spent. Light up like neon and shine when the night is darkest. Catalog of seeds now need to harvest. Speak without us, stupid virus hoppers. We them bastards, the green pastures. Think of it, they need no master. How to better, stronger, faster. We can't be stopped. Like it, a voice said, now a doubt is dropped. Take a one, take a one, take a one. 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 Take a one